What's up, y'all? Hope everybody is well. Welcome to the Onyx Report uh, on uh, March 17th. We are getting started today. Hope everybody is doing well. As you guys know, the Onyx Report uh, is where we as black male justice advocates uplift black men and boys using critical analysis. So uh, we are getting it going today. Trying to get uh, started in here. All right. Make sure you guys, you guys know how I do. Uh, make sure you support the show um, best you can. It, it is much appreciated if you are able to. What's up, Malika? Appreciate that support. Um, oh, let me get this in here. Hold on. Oh, man. It is. It has been a pretty good day. I'm not going to complain about nothing. It's just a uh, uh, number of fires to put out, as you guys know, tend to happen in life, uh, but nothing too extreme. So nothing that I am going to complain about. Um, we're just trying to get all the bases covered here. Uh, so as I was, I was, as I was saying, you can uh, become a member. You can do so by clicking the uh, subscribe button on YouTube right underneath the video and right next to it is the join button. There are different levels of membership you can sign up for. Uh, the diamond level just got a new uh, feature, which is uh, I upload a couple of extra videos per week uh, that is only accessible to diamond level, level level members and above. So go ahead and check that out. Also, make sure you subscribe to the show. And do that. But before we jump in any further, I do want to acknowledge my subscribers and uh, support them. So let me make sure all my little connections are properly set up. And let's go ahead and support the subscribers to the Onyx Report. Much appreciated, Rashid. Appreciate the support. Um, let's see who we got in here. We got Gemini. We got Ian. We got Barry and Enigma. Ron, what's up, y'all? Um, Liang, Aaron. All right. We got some people in here. 41 watching. Again, like, share, and subscribe. Um, so uh, today, just a couple of things to run through before we deep dive into our main subjects um or subject i should say although it's split in a number of different areas um but let's go ahead and give out some special shout outs while we are there a couple things going on in the world i thought uh, important to acknowledge uh first up is a piece you can find on variety.com which is uh shouting out uh one highly jerima um you know the academy museum is doing an opening gala and they will honor him, Ethiopian independent filmmaker. 
uh, will receive the Vantage Award, which honors an artist or scholar who has helped contextualize and challenge dominant narratives around cinema. Dreama is acclaimed for portraits of Black life in films like Bush Mama and Ashes and Embers, both awards, um, because they're also honoring Sophia Loren, both awards are uh, presented by Rolex, uh, the official watch partner. <laughs> Afro analysts appreciate that support. Um, so yeah, shout out to Haile Dreama. His film Sankofa, I showed for uh, a good long time uh, to, to generations of students. So if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. I believe you can find it on YouTube. I'm not sure, but uh, wherever you can find it, make sure that you check that out. All right. Uh, let's see. Alpha Sigma, what's up? It's Misi. What's going on? Um, okay. All right. Okay. So let's get to the next one here. Y'all know about this one, you know, um, hurt my heart to, uh, to hear, but, um, you know, we've, we've had some stars going down. So y'all know what it is. The, uh, marvelous one himself. Mar Marvelous Marvin, Marvin Hagler uh, passed away uh, March uh, 13th. Um, there is some contention about from what, but either way, it was sad to hear this, you know, um, even though the man uh, hasn't boxed in quite a while, retired from the game, uh, really at the core of it due to a lack of respect, um, even went so far as changing his name officially to Marvelous to make sure he got the respect he was due. Uh, nevertheless, uh, sad to hear about his passing. Um, he is known uh, for being an incredible fighter and, and being a, a partic participant in probably what's considered the greatest round of boxing in the history of the sport. Um, so shout out to him. Um, rest in power, soldier. Hope all is uh, well on the other side for you. We appreciate your contributions. Definitely an icon without question. Uh, so that is well put, Malika. Um, Kalila, what's happening with you, lady? Hope everything is well. Crimson, what's going on? Um, Father's Time. Uh, Joe from D.C., appreciate that. Father's Time, definitely. Appreciate that generous uh, contribution. Thank you. Um, let's see. What's up, Mike? So moving forward. Um one Yafet Kodo has also passed. He was living in the Philippines. Um, and this one was weird, man, because I, I just uh, was watching. Uh, my son asked to watch the first Alien movie, uh, which he became privy to because I guess there's some Alien video game him and his friends have been playing. So he messed around and asked me, could we watch it? And I am not the one to ask because horror movies and sci-fi, you ain't got to say that but once. So, yeah, we pushed back past bedtime one night. We went through and watched the original Alien and I remember toward the beginning of the film, I actually looked up to see if he was still alive because I hadn't heard from Kodo in such a long time and he still was. So I was like, oh, man, he's, he's still doing his thing somewhere. And literally like 24 hours later, I saw this post where he died 81 years old, uh, known for his role in uh, James Bond's Live and Let Die. Uh, you know, was also in Homicide Life on the Street. Uh, he's in quite a few things. Well-known actor, big guy, you know, two, 200 pounds, six foot three. So he's representing us big brothers you know, big dark brothers. So I appreciate that. But uh, still, man, I was I was I was taken aback by this one. So, you know, shout out to Yafa Koto. Um, you know, appreciate your work, sir. You know. All right. So much appreciation for that, you know, and uh, rest well, rest well. 
Um, all right. So, got it. What's up, Gavin? Appreciate the support, man. Uh, got a couple quick service announcements, just some acknowledgments uh, about some of the things going on that need to be put into some context. First off, <laughs> this one is a piece uh, that you can find on uh, WYFF4.com. This is a South Carolina cadet uh, officer fired after allowing an inmate to kiss and suck her neck. Right. Yeah, Barry, he's gone, man. Yeah. But um, yeah, so this cadet officer uh, with the Kershaw Correction Institution has been fired after developing an inappropriate relationship with an inmate, according to the South Carolina Department of Corrections. Nia Molly Bartizel, 19 years old, has been charged with misconduct in office and filing a false police report. Uh, officials say she filed a false police report on March 8th, saying she had been pulled into a cell by an inmate where he kissed and sucked her neck against her will. She later recanted and admitted she had she did not attempt to stop the inmate from kissing and sucking on her neck. She, they said she reported that she had developed feelings for the inmate and had been in a relationship with him for a few weeks. She was later fired after her arrest. Now, I talked earlier this week in a shorter video about what's referred to as custodial rape. Now, this is not an I'm not suggesting this is an act of rape, but it merely speaks to the power difference in play. You know, so if she's an employee of the prison and in this case uh, is, is serving as a guard, it appears uh, the power differential is what puts the uh, vulnerability on the inmate uh, in this regard. Right now, of course, in her case, filing a false report doesn't help matters. But uh, I just want to point out to you, you know, when you see these kind of cases, right, be very mindful of what it is we're looking at, because that power differential makes all the difference. Right makes all the difference in this dynamic. Um, so just had to put that on the table because we see a lot of these kind of cases and, and a lot of people immediately assume that, uh, you know, if it's a female guard, that she's immediately the victim. But legally speaking, uh, considering she's the one in a position of power, um, she's actually the in a more aggressive position. So um, just be mindful of that. Let's see. And next up, we have another one. Now, this one, this one is strange. Um, WISTV.com reports on this one. The title of this article is Mother Who Alleged Allegedly Abandoned Newborn in Trash Bin. Uh, and I think this was in Boston, uh, charged with attempted murder. Right. So the formal title is Mother Who Allegedly Abandoned Newborn in Trash Bin in Dorchester, charged with attempted murder. So here we have a woman who allegedly put her newborn baby into a plastic bag and then placed the infant in a trash can in Lower Mills last week appeared in a Dorchester County um, courtroom Monday to face charges of attempted murder and child abandonment. Mary Marizier, 33 years old, was held on a $100,000 cash bail at her arraignment in Dorchester Municipal Court uh, where uh, a not guilty plea was entered on her behalf. She allegedly abandoned her child Friday afternoon, authorities said. Prosecutors said Monday during her arraignment that she arrived visibly pregnant on Friday at the home of a 73-year-old man she knew and went to the bathroom for an hour. The man described hearing noises and at some point a baby crying where she then exited the bathroom. She was carrying a brown leather bag and the man said he heard crying coming from inside the bag. Uh, she declined the man's offer to call an ambulance. 
later around 1.15, woman heard a baby crying from inside a trash barrel um, approximately 200 feet down the road from the man's house. She flagged down Boston EMS personnel parked nearby. And the paramedics found a newborn baby inside uh, two knotted plastic grocery bags. Good Lord. Video surveillance footage allegedly shows her putting a plastic bag into a trash barrel. Uh, later, um, official said later, she, she basically denied leaving the bags in the trash when questioned, but then admitted to doing so and said she thought the baby was dead. Who, um, uh, according to prosecutors who also described her as having mental health issues. Um, uh, she posts, uh, if she posts bail, she'll be confined to her home on GPS monitoring, monitoring in order to stay away from the alleged victim and witnesses record show. Her next court appearance is set for March 29th. Um, Rollins stressed that under um, the 2004 safe Haven act of Massachusetts, a parent can legally surrender a baby at any hospital police station, or staffed fire station within seven seven days of birth without facing, <clears throat> excuse me, criminal charges. The situation did not have to happen, uh, it was said, but we did need to make sure that parents of newborns know they have options if they feel home, hopeless, depressed, and inability to bond or are having thoughts of uh, harming themselves or the child. Uh, no Appreciate that, Eric. Um, you know, nobody should ever have to suffer in silence. Um, but in another report, you know, it was, it was interesting to see at several parts in the article, people said uh, things in, along the lines of she must have been in, in a tough position. We hope she gets help. We reach out to her. We feel for her. And really, this one, I wasn't really going to condemn her. I don't know what kind of mental state she's in. I'm not about to do that. I am talking, you know, I have been talking for the last year about how the current environment we're in is going to push more of this kind of behavior because people are going through all kinds of twists and turns uh, economically and an, along a number of other lines. But in the midst of all this, especially knowing that the baby was safe, one of the first thoughts that hit me was, you know, since I was a teenager in the 80s, I, I, you know, I've been hearing about these cases. I mean, at that time, we used to hear about, you know, kids in school, you know, girls going in the bathroom, having a baby, throwing in the trash can. We used to hear about those kind of things regularly from high school onward. And, you know, people would often just kind of extend emotionally on behalf of the mothers. And one of the things that really always kind of got me, got me about that was, you know, I never noticed people extending compassion to men simply on the basis of hearing about the situation. Now we can talk about uh, police homicides, but usually in those circumstances, it becomes a rallying cry politically. And, and especially in the last five years for everybody, but black men in particular who are being killed, but just on GP, you know, just on, uh, especially in regard to anything family oriented, men tend to find themselves, uh, you know, considered the boogeyman if they didn't want to be fathers, right? If they leave families, if, even if they want a divorce, things along those lines, they, they're, tr they're kind of victim, they're villainized, excuse me, they're kind of villainized pretty early on. But I notice how often we can extend compassion on the basis of just hearing, you know, the surface level of a story and not be able to do so when it comes to men. And I'm talking about men across race for that matter. You know, it's just an interesting dynamic that I find that tends to happen. Um, now, y'all know one of my esteemed uh, guests who uh, I like to have back as often as possible uh, is here today. So I am going to go ahead and bring him up as we speak. Get him up here. What's up, BGS? 
Hey, Doc, what's going on? You, man, how you doing? Pretty good. And have you been, do you remember the first time you heard about these kind of cases where they were, you know, you had women throwing babies away like this? Uh, yeah, this, this is something, you know, I first you used to hear about this uh, and we're going through like uh, stagflation in the 70s mm-hmm. and you would see this and uh, every time there's some kind of financial stress, you see uh, these kind of things pop up like in 2008, 2009, when when you had that crash, you would see these kind of stories pop up where they would leave a baby in a trash can or or leave the baby, you know, someplace else to try to uh, leave the baby on the uh, on the doorsteps and stuff like that. So uh, it happens from time to time, especially if you're under economic stress. And uh, mm-hmm. if you go back in history, this is, you know, this is common. Mm. Anytime there's a financial stress and, and women don't think they can actually afford to take care of a child and they do bring a child to term, uh, this is uh, this is quite common. We've kind of I think uh, we've kind of uh, kind of lessened the effect because because of the because uh, of the government actually steps in and supports uh, keeping these children alive. But mm-hmm. back then, you know, uh, uh, back then, this was actually common. Well, when I I didn't start hearing about it till the eighties, but it would often be Mm -hmm. like thirteen year old girls, you know what I mean? Yeah, and 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 it would be girls that would say things like, "I didn't even know I was pregnant," you know that kind of thing. But this is, you know, thirty. This is a thirty three year old woman. Yeah, yeah, and this is like I said uh, with with uh, with with younger girls, with teenage girls, it's uh, it's common because they don't want the family to know. It's more of like a, a shame and embarrassment. Mm-hmm. It's more about keep about reputation. Yeah. Uh, we, we see older women do it. It's more about economics. Yeah, yeah. Well, and especially like, as you said during this time period, mm-hmm. this is what I was saying to people. It, there's going to be a lot more like this, and I was saying right. this last year uh, mm-hmm. because things are escalating. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, in the news, it's all about you know vaccines are coming, and there's this implication that the mm-hmm. market everything is going to open up and be back to normal within a, a couple of days, but it, you know, when you really begin to look at it, uh, on the ground, right. It's, it's going to take a while. Uh, even, it, after it, 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 even after it opens back up, it's never going to be the same because you get, it's more than just COVID and the, and the, and the pandemic that's working on this economy, automation and all that other kind of stuff is actually working on this economy at the same time. So Absolutely. It's accelerating, accelerating the trend that was already there. So it, it will, it will never be the same. In fact, uh, uh, like uh, they said, the Matrix, uh, Kansas, uh, Dorothy, Kansas, is getting ready to go bye bye. Mm. Mm. So if people think people think that when when they you get your vaccine, they open it up and you can go out actually go out and party and what you're doing that that the economy is going to be the same as when you left it. No, it will never be the same. Well, if you would tell me, uh, you know, especially in terms of automation. Mm-hmm. Right? What are we looking at as far as uh, how long reaching, far reaching the changes are going to be? Because a lot of people thought, I think a lot of people just, you know, assume that whatever automation was happening, Mm -hmm. it'll go away when the market opens and companies will go back to having employees. Mm -hmm. There's this kind of sense that things will be like it was before. What do you think? How how permanent are they? They're permanent because uh, a lot of uh, a lot of changes because of the market and because of people. Uh, they were resistant to implement those changes wholesale. So they were, they're piecemealing those changes. They were coming, but they were, it was very, very slowly. Uh, kiosk at McDonald's, uh, self-checkout at Home Depot, uh, maybe another self-checkout, a couple of checkouts at your uh, grocery store. Uh, people that in, in offices getting replaced by a bot. Um, 
so it was just very, very, a very, very slow rollout. You know, but the thing is, what the COVID uh, forced people to do is with, with the remote learning and remote working, and uh, people couldn't be in stores and stuff like that. It basically accelerated the trend that was already there. So those tr- those changes were probably going to be permanent. Mm. You know, some of those changes are going to be permanent. Uh, the things where they, they haven't been automated, they just you know just just weren't there. Okay, those jobs will come back, but the ones they've automated, like in Amazon, Home Depot, um, the your gross local grocery store, your mm-hmm. uh, your fast food place, uh, like like McDonald's. Okay, you can use your app, uh, right? Roll up, and and they will hand you your bag that cuts out like two or three people, right? Mm-hmm. So that is permanent. That's not going to go away. Mm. When 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 the market opens back up, it works. Uh, people are happy with it. That's not going to go away. Uh, your delivery, like Amazon delivering packages, once people get used to not walking into a store and yeah. not picking stuff up and having to deliver it at home, yeah. okay, some of that will, yeah, I would say like like thirty percent of that people will go back in the stores. The other part, they're comfortable with ordering it. So mm-hmm. that's that's not going to stay with. Uh, I would say like the restaurant industry because. Uh, eating out is more about an experience rather than food. So mm-hmm. that will open back up. Entertainment will probably open back up. Uh, the clubs will partially open back up. Those things that, that can't be replaced by automation will, you know, those kind of uh, industries and jobs will open back up because you really readily can't replace those things with automation. You can't, there's no robots down on the court playing basketball. So, mm-hmm. and so the arenas will open back up. But the things like, uh, like uh, office jobs, uh, like uh, sales, sales uh, cashiers, uh, like self, like help at the Home Depot or mm-hmm. help at a, you know the big box stores. Okay, some big box stores have closed during all during COVID, right? Mm. Uh, uh, like Sears, like like my favorite, which is Fries, right? They're mm. closed. Okay, they will they won't open back up again. Those jobs are permanently gone. Yeah. So there's going to be some jobs that are permanently gone. Okay. Now will other will jobs come back in and take their place? No. And the thing is, is that uh, the thing is, we thought that because of um, because of the economy, it's going to be hard jobs like blue collar jobs like warehousing, um, uh, truck driving, construction, those kind of things that were typically male jobs would be hit like they were hit back in 2008, 2009. It's the reverse because. Uh, because it's easier to put in a bot, an artificial intelligence bot, to like lay off like two thousand workers, okay? Because you don't have to implement a machine to take their place. Mm-hmm. Whereas with a physical job, you have to create the machine, maintain the machine, buy the machine, and train the machine to actually do the, the person's job. Whereas a bot, with with a soft job, especially a sales job or a, uh, what what they say, the high level, high low level paper pushing, you can implement a bot, and within you know a, a month, you can replace four, five, six hundred jobs because it, it scales a lot quicker and a lot better because there's nothing physical. So right. uh, so women are probably going to get hit harder with this particular brand of automation than men will. Men will get hit later. The thing is right now, the, the easiest thing to actually p- bring in an artificial intelligence bot to actually take place of soft skill jobs. Mm. So, when, so for, in this instance, the she session is going to be a lot worse than the he session back in 2008, 2009. Well, I've been, I've been telling people, you know, especially in regard to black men, mm-hmm. you know, levels of unemployment up to 40 and 50% in 35 mm-hmm. major cities, you, you already, mm-hmm. Men have already been getting hit, especially mm-hmm. black men in a variety mm-hmm. of ways. Uh, but this is unique, you know, because even when I call into a company on an 800, I'm, right. I'm finding more, you know, AI 
Yeah. You know, it, it, <laughs> and I am people. I, it's, you know, it, it's funny because uh, I, I know you probably noticed this, you know, because they do it on uh, on your cell phone all the time. Right. Is a robo calls done by AIs. And then mm-hmm. you know, then when you pick up and you and you it'll ask you a couple of questions. And then if it looks like you're actually going to engage, they, they hand you off to a salesperson. Mm. But the thing is, the robocalls that used to be humans and you know, especially females doing it, right? Replace, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we had a question about. Um, let me see. I think it's uh, uh, Stuart Knight asked about movie theaters, and and uh, Miss Kalila uh, asked about uh, schools. What do you see in terms of permanent changes there? Okay, uh, what they okay. This is why COVID. To the people that are on top it was such a good experiment because they find out what works and what doesn't. Okay, like I said, in, theaters are entertainment; they're an experience. People don't people can watch the same movie through Netflix streaming, but it's not the same experience. Mm. So, since it's an experience, it's entertainment. I think movies will actually bounce back, and probably people will flood in because they haven't been able to do it for so long. Okay, mm. what they found out with schools, the way that. Uh, we have been socialized over 200 years is to have the Prussian school system with somebody with an expert like yourself guiding the class. Okay. With the human experience. And we're not used to handing somebody like you off to an AI or, or basically uh, online. Okay. Mm-hmm. So especially for uh, a K through 12, you know, I mean, you have a, you have a son that's they're not quite ready for independent study. They kind of mm-hmm. need somebody to look over their shoulder. So, and that's what they found out. That's what I found out with my grandson. They need their classroom experience. So they need a teacher in. So I think schools are fairly safe. I think teachers' jobs are fairly safe. Okay. Well, one of the things I've seen with teaching, and they were doing this, uh, you know, of course, the pandemic pushed this into overdrive, but right. in the last decade, you know, really trying to reduce the number of teachers in, in, right. in two, two ways, most particularly that I've, I've witnessed. Mm-hmm. One where they they're hiring, you know, at the university level, they're hiring fewer, you know, full time right. tenure track professors, and they're bringing yeah. in adjuncts and and kind of overloading them with the workload and paying them less, of course. Yeah. And then the other side of it is they've really been promoting online education. They've been doing this for a while, and that way, you know, for one professor, you know, you're you're teaching. You can be teaching, you know, more what four to five, six classes, and three yeah. of them are online. It's yeah. like like there was a while, this was a good five years. I was teaching a writing course uh, to a, a room full of students, but then there yeah. were two other rooms full of students in neighboring cities yeah. that were coming into the class along those lines. So I'm literally yeah. teaching three times as many, yeah. you know, it, without them being in the same physical room. So they're trying to use that, and yeah. then COVID hit, and yeah. it just became the standard in many ways. But any thoughts about about that? Okay, eventually it will transition. The thing is, is that it's not the the, the tech. The, the the thing is, is that the way people learn or way people have been conditioned to learn, mm-hmm. most people, I would say 80, maybe even a little higher uh, percentage of people have been conditioned to learn from human to human. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, you know, even though you're at the university level and you should, uh, I think you've, you've, you've spoken about this, um, even though these are mature adults that should be able to study independently if they get the right guidance okay even they slack off because they're not conditioned to uh, not have a human to human contact in a classroom hmm. so they slack off and they fall off so this has been a, a great experiment to see what works and what doesn't and what they found out is that remote learning at least for for right now does not work hmm. 
So as far as teachers are concerned, they're fairly safe until until they figure out a way to transition uh, the children or, or, the, or the students from mm -hmm. from person to person or for the physical classroom to the uh, virtual classroom. But they haven't done it yet because they never prepared the kids. If they started like uh, when the flipped classroom, when I first learned about that in like 2004 <laughs> and they had 15 mm -hmm. years of conditioning the student for a, a, a virtual uh, learning uh, uh, environment. I mm -hmm. think it would have went better, but they hadn't because they didn't want to invest the money and a rollout was way too slow. So basically you're stuck with the old system until you can transition students. And I, from my from my experience, especially with my with my eight year old grandson sitting there every day, uh, they're not ready. If yeah. I wasn't sitting there actually supplementing yeah. what the teacher does, mm -hmm. um, uh, he wouldn't sit. He wouldn't be learning very much. Because there's nobody, you you still have to have a guard, uh, a guard at the gate. Okay, you still have to have somebody directing the class and ensuring that they stay on task. Because um, got it. Most American kids are distracted, and most American kids will not stay on task unless there's somebody actually monitoring them. And and that's the biggest yeah. thing. Well, and the other thing too is what I'm noticing, especially in regard to my my black students, mm -hmm. uh, technologically. Mm -hmm. well, it, that becomes a whole nother gulf in and of itself. Like I noticed mm -hmm. not only are they working more, you know, having working more jobs, more hours, mm -hmm. but then also, you know, a lot of them don't have laptops. They don't have desktop computers. Yeah. They're trying to participate in the class. Oh, on oh, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the time they'll kind of get booted out of the, out of the system. Yeah. And while I'm lecturing, you know, I I don't always go to the part of the screen where I see, especially at 35 minutes into the class. Yeah. Looking at who's still waiting to get back in because they've gotten booted out. So yeah. you're seeing the impact of not having the equipment you need and, to be able to compete. And the thing is, is that, uh, you know, just something. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's funny that it's coming back up because it's something that, that uh, me and my group talked about maybe 12, 13 years ago about this transition. Like 2007, we're actually talking to. Uh, people that were actually in high schools talking about this transition, and we mm -hmm. thought it would have happened sooner. Uh, and America, even though they, you know, the average school system spends fifteen thousand dollars per year per student, but they never invested into transitioning uh, to this, to this, to this uh, automated workspace. Mm -hmm. With you know, because every kid, the average tablet. You know, say you have an average tablet, you can actually make one of these things. The uh, uh, what is it, a Chromebook or a tablet? You can mm -hmm. actually make one for like thirty bucks a piece, okay? Yeah. Which is nothing. Say, there's no way that a uh, that a uh, that a university student who pays all these fees and a university can't afford to give each student a doggone fifty dollar tablet that's that's dedicated for a work environment. That, that doesn't make sense. But that, that's 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 the uh, educational system the capitalist ed education system not investing and not looking forward whereas it was like a more authoritarian um system like china or russia or or even singapore we don't think of singapore as authoritarian or japan as authoritarian where they would just uh, okay this needs to be done boom this we're going to transition to this and this is what they need to have and every student would just line up and and and, and uh, as soon as they enrolled and they paid their fees. They get handed a, you know, a, a tablet or whatever um, device they needed to mm -hmm. actually participate, which I think uh, at the college level, you got plenty of money. It should have been easy to contract, a, you know, a tablet that's where two students can actually participate instead of a smartphone. 
That's ridiculous. Uh, you know, actually, I- I'm seeing it more. And my son's at the high school level. They they kind of did a better rollout at yes. the high school level than yes. at the college level. But yeah, let's go ahead and uh, get started. So, okay. uh, let me go ahead and share this. And, and no more BGS drift. <laughs> no, no, I asked you. I asked you. Yeah. That doesn't count. That, no, that no, doesn't count. Okay. That, that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you get off on that one. That didn't count. I asked. So, uh, <laughs> But y'all know the deal. Today, we're talking about SMV. We're talking about MMV and LMV and how to empirically locate your social value. Right. Uh, So let's 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 get some of the brass tacks out of the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, What what led me to come up with this one Mm -hmm. is I am uh, Generation X. So in the 1980s, even though let me see the beginning of the 80s, I was about six years old. But, uh, you know, of course, throughout the 80s. So I came into from six to 16. You know what I mean? I came into my young adulthood in the 80s. And this was something that I began to hear um, as a young boy growing up. And I heard it from, you know, girls in the neighborhood. I heard it from, you know, television. I heard it from grown women. You know what I mean? I had a family mostly full of women and I listened to them on the phone, you know, whatever. And you could just this became a mantra in the 80s. And I think with it came the the argument or at least the underlying idea that men were black men in particular were behind they were they were incapable of keeping up uh and what i began to hear more especially in the late 90s is um these kind of you know television shows about how they couldn't find men that could offer parody right in other words they couldn't find men who are on their level. And that was something we used to hear as well, right? That was a mantra as well. And men, I can't find men on my level. So a number of episodes ago, ago BG, BGS and I got together and we actually went through the BLS data and we did the latest data available in late fall, 2020. And it really showed us something that I think most people overlook, right? And that is at every level you find, and this is specific to black America, you actually find working or employed black men actually earning more on a regular basis. So this was not, uh, you know, that alone kind of flew in the face of the stereotypes that we used to get, but I wanted to take it a little further. So I started thinking about um, some of the other things in the last few years that really began to kind of blow a lot of black men's minds about our worth. Cause again, in the eighties, there was nothing talking about what you were worth as a black man. Um, what your value was. There really wasn't uh, much of it was, was focused around letting women know that they were the prize. They were the value and that men had to work up to being and, worthy and, and, of her time. And what they were actually saying, if you look at uh, William Julius Wilson, uh, mm-hmm. he was saying that black men were utter failures, which is oh, why okay. the marriage, the marriage rate was plummeting. Right. Right. So a lot of the, the a lot of the, the low key, you know, hate, the low key critique was at men. But, you know, y- you remember when when you started to hear that rhetoric, nobody ever brought out any numbers. True. You know, that was the interesting thing about it. It almost didn't require any data to go along with it because the underlying idea was that it was true simply because it was stated yeah, if it yeah. was stated by women. It was inherently true. Yeah. In fact, uh, I, so one of my subs actually sent me something about uh, economically unattractive black men. I think that was wow. like six months ago. So, wow. Yeah. So it's it's the, that myth still lives and that dragon yes. can't can't be killed. OK, absolutely. The myth is still is still very much alive and people don't want to they don't want to challenge it. But then, mm. you know, uh, we ran across this. 
right? And mm-hmm. that became very popular a couple of years ago. Uh, oh, whoa, whoa, way, way, way before that, like 2010. 2010? Okay. 2010, yeah, Rolo Tomasi. This is, yeah, Rolo Tomasi, Rational Male, mm-hmm. uh, came out with this. It, it ended up being affirmed by OKCupid, which was something that couldn't happen until you got to you know, the mm-hmm. age of social media, until mm-hmm. you got to the age of uh, online dating, dating. Apps, online yeah. dating. You really couldn't do this in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties. You couldn't do it this with this much readily available information. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're not familiar, uh, you have the treat of hearing BGS break down SMV. Mm-hmm. And mind you, this this particular chart he sent me when I had him break it down to my students in my blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the thing is, you know, your black male studies, you have you, you have uh, male, uh, black males and black females in your class yes. and it, it divided among uh, gender lines where the, the black males were like popping their collar and the black females were like disgusted. In fact, well, I, was, he, I, I was shocked you weren't in the uh, the, the president's office, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I didn't I didn't say it. I had a guest say it. <laughs> no, it, it, actually, they weren't. The men weren't popping their collars. The men were blown away. OK, because, again, n- n- there's really no mechanism in the black community or what I call the black academy, like the black mm-hmm. academy. There's no space in there for there to be a discussion about men's value. Right. The only time you're really allowed to talk about men is if you talk about their toxicity, you talk mm-hmm. about the problems they cause others, you talk about even, even in their absence, the problems they cause, but there's no place to talk about their value. So right. when we were going through sexual marketplace value in my class, the men, every year I teach this course, they are blown away that there's any discussion of value at all. And these are, and these are, uh, you know, these are young students who are in college. So can you imagine Mm-hmm. How many of them never hear it, right? And this is the one class they would hear it in. So it's not only that they're in college, but that they're sitting in my class. And they would often tell me all the way. And I, I even have had a brother uh, wrote me a couple days ago, who probably graduated maybe what five six years ago, and he was like, "Man, I am still tripping off of the things I learned." Uh, and SMV was high up in there as as far as his own value and what he right. had to bring to the table. So there right. really isn't there aren't a whole lot of spaces where black men hear about their value or men in general in some respects. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, so if you would break down SMV. OK, you know, and, SM, yeah. SMV. And this is uh, this is exactly what the, the creator of the chart says, because uh, he it was like 10 years of of, uh, of of data and him talking to men and women and uh, over a period of 10 years and from 2000, 2010, because he had a blog. And he said he created he created this 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 rough guide uh, over because of that experience. And said he took the uh, top three or four components of what makes a man valuable to a woman, and what makes a woman valuable to a man. And that's mm-hmm. that's reflected into in the chart, like a like a woman's value to a man. An OK Cupid actually confirmed it is what youth, beauty, mm-hmm. fertility. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Because it's not it's not about uh, equality. It's about what the other what the other uh, sex gender or sex which is it doc sex or gender? I always get confused. Okay. It's it, it, uh, what the other sex wants from from their partner, right? right. The mm-hmm. ideal epitome how they how they rate or value a partner, and mm-hmm. what men want is sex, which is a uh, which is youth, beauty, and, and fertility, and. According to OK, OK Cupid, 
a woman's uh, uh, youth, beauty, and fertility actually peak, according to the charts, uh, between the ages of 19 and 23. So mm -hmm. basically, so they, they, they fudge it and give uh, them a little leeway and said, okay, 23 is her peak sexual market value, uh, according mm -hmm. to what men want out of a woman, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then he did the same thing for men. What do women want out of men? Right. Mm -hmm. And the first thing is, is, uh, is number one resources, you know, uh, where, where does his resources, where's his peak resource resources? Okay. Uh, same thing is, uh, is, you know, uh, is, is maturity. Okay. Because he's supposed to guide and direct all that kind of stuff to, and have his so-called, what he call have his shit together. And then, and, and then the, uh, 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 the, I think, do believe the third thing, because men don't have a fertility window the same way, same, same reason right. women do have. Right. Uh, I forget what the third thing was, uh, uh, resources, uh, oh, earning power, which is, mm -hmm. which is tied to resources. Okay. So he mm -hmm. put those three, those three things together and out comes this chart. And, and for men, if you, if you take all three of them up, uh, basically men peak out. And I think it's shifted because when he did it, it was 38. OK, mm -hmm. men peak out as far as, you know, start to hit their peak at earnings, uh, 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 maturity and, and, and resources at 38. They've acquired mm -hmm. a certain amount of you know, goods like homes and, and cars and, and goods and their earnings peak right around, you know, back then peaked at 38. OK, right. that has shifted to a little later. So now that, sh that shift is like 41. Mm -hmm. but, the, but the thing is, the chart is what do women? What are the three top things that women, if you if you uh, if you survey them, what are the three top things they want out of man? And where right. does that? Where do those three things peak? So mm -hmm. the sexual market value is different, okay, mm -hmm. and sometimes different from what people actually do. So right. so so this is what this reflects. And when when you go on a dating site, because okay, Cupid, uh, where I learned about sexual marketplace value was not from Roller Tomasi, but from okay, Cupid, when they published a book in 2013. Right, you know, Data And this and they they so I so I I saw the chart. I, I searched the chart to find out Roller Tomasi. I did this like ten years or like ten three years earlier. Mm -hmm. So this is what comes out. Okay, and it actually confirmed these curves. Now, the importance of it for men, uh, especially black men, was first, there was there really wasn't anything that highlighted your value. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but when you saw this, it really began to make sense, even retroactively, like you could look mm -hmm. back in your life. And I remember even as, as young as middle school, I remember the girls in middle school would date high school boys. Yes. And the, and the girls in high school would date college young men. Yes. And and then women in college would date men who had homes and businesses yes. and were long since out of college. Right. And it was always kind of, you know, you, you, it was like, OK, you know, they always had access to more established, even when more established just meant that he had a car. Even right. that they, they women had more ha access to that. And I was like, so you kind of you knew as a young man, you didn't really have any value in, in regard to being able to compete with these right. older men. Exactly. You know, you're on a skateboard. He's driving a car, yeah. and you're trying to get get at the same yeah. girl. You know, you're not you're not first choice. You're not first choice. You're no. not first choice, and you're not first choice at the upper tier women that whose sexual market value is much higher than yours at age 15, 16, exactly. even you know age twenty. You know, college exactly. Age. Yeah, exactly. And then you reach this point. You know, and this is this is what I began to hear most. And this is probably about a decade ago. I started to hear more stories about that guy who grew up. And is making six figures mm -hmm. and 
the, the guy that she was chasing while younger, you know, it, it didn't it doesn't work out. He, he's peaked out already. Yeah, he's peaked out. And yeah. so now the, the nerd who didn't get any, any attention now, he's the one she wants, even though she has a couple of kids. Uh, appreciate the support real, even yeah. though she has a couple of kids and this and that, you know, and, and you start to hear those kind of narratives about men who were not necessarily getting revenge, but now they were getting phone calls from the women that wouldn't have paid them any mind a decade yeah. ago or two decades ago. Right. And now they're chasing these men. So you start yeah. to hear those stories. But when you heard about SMV, it was really the, for a lot of men, it was the first time that at any point you realize, Oh, yeah. So it's not just that I'm having these old girlfriends call. Cause a lot of us have had those experiences. Mm-hmm. It's more so that I have value Right. That is akin to the value I saw girls yeah. have in middle school through yeah. college. And the, and the other thing he would, Walter Tomasi said is that, you know, uh, because men mature later, you know, uh, mm-hmm. physically mature later than women do, uh, they have a, they, they, their window starts like seven to 10 years later as far as physical maturity. So mm-hmm. a man at 38 is, is, uh, is much like a woman at 28. You know, mm-hmm. or probably more like a woman at twenty. You know, like like twenty twenty six mm-hmm. physically. Mm-hmm. Okay, physically. he's still physically uh, uh, attractive enough, physically able enough to actually compete. Right. When you put all those three things together, that's the other thing that he did say. Why? Uh, why the peak value is the third in the in the uh, late thirties rather than the early forties? That's another right. thing. That he did say. Which is yeah. well, which which uh, you know, when you listen to back, going back to the eighties, when you listen to what women mm-hmm. began to, because the other mantra was what a man, what men needed to have to be considered uh, uh, worthy of, of being sought after, right? You know, six mm-hmm. figures, yeah. six feet tall. Right. You know, when you started to hear those kind of things, what, what you find for a lot of men they were describing were men who were in their mid to late 30s and through 40s, right? right. In terms of the time it takes to amass that. Yes. You know, and so when you started to put those together, you started to see how the, those dynamics played out. Yeah. Now, the next one, um, because we're talking about multiple, um, uh, uh, what would you call it? Uh, measurements. Most, yeah, most metrics. I would say. Thank you. Um, all right. So I'm gonna pull. Let me pull this one up. I generally like having my slides in order, but I figured we would just be a little loose with this one. (laughs) These are moving targets and and trust and believe if you try to look for this data, it's not as easy to find as you would think. It's not as easy. You got to pull it together. So as you guys saw in the title, SMV was the first one, right? Because that's Mm -hmm. what really kicked kicked open the door Mm -hmm. for men to have any kind of sense of where they had value. And that's dealing with the sexual marketplace. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next one up is MMV, right? Mm -hmm. Now this concept, um, hold on, damn, what did I do with the thing? Okay, here we go. Uh, so this concept, marriage market value, is one that we actually see originating with one Donald Graham, but mm-hmm. most of us, uh, you know, in the manosphere, heard about it through Crimson Cure, who I think was in the chat for a minute. Shout out to you. Um, you know, she kind of popularized it. You know, and I thought about it in terms of you know what the 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 trifecta would be for how men could better assess where they stand. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so SMV, um, MMV, and we're going to cover the third one in a moment. But if you would talk a little about MMV, what is important about it? Do you think? I think MMV is SMV is, is, is if you, if you take it just a raw metric, okay. Mm-hmm. About what, what is valuable, you know, about each other, um, uh, 
and where the peaks are, okay, is different because you're taking a, a, a just a, a raw static number, you're crunching them, and you're saying, okay, where where are the peaks at? Okay, in, uh, marriage market value is different because it's what people actually do, okay, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and it's very consistent that when 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 a woman and a man decide to marry, uh, especially when a woman decides to marry, because that's that's the issue because we're finding out about you know Kevin Samuels is actually you know. Shout out to Kevin Samuels because I know people hate hearing his name so much. But the thing is, his show is actually highlighting of what marriage market value is when women because women actually delay marriage because of the you know feminism and the and the career path that they're on. Mm -hmm. uh, women are not even ready for marriage until you know until near thirty. And the chart that you see actually reflects that. And most women want to get married to a man that's two to three years older. Mm -hmm. Okay. Regardless of you know how much he makes or whatever he makes, something like that, and that's pretty consistent. So even you know even if you go through the chart by age, okay, yeah, it's always within uh, uh, two to three years of uh, for for a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so if it's eighteen and 19, 20, 21, women tend to want to stay in that range of two to three years. You might have the outlier you know, in this society. Have mm -hmm. the outlier of a, a younger woman marrying an older man, but mm -hmm. uh, socially, especially in this environment, women want to stay in that narrow range of like three, you know three to five years, and and basically it's been pretty consistent from all the charts that I've seen that the marriage market value is the, the graph is much closer, yeah, uh, than um, than the say sexual marketplace value. We got a we got a couple other charts to look at here as well. Yeah. Um, Go ahead and talk about this one. Okay. Uh, the the probability of you getting married and you see that in, this is from a like a, you know, that the one we just looked at was from 2018. Mm -hmm. and I do believe this one is from 2005. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which is, which is that's why you see it. Uh, the age is like a couple of years younger. Yeah. But the, I should have switched that, the order around. Um, the order. Yeah. But you, you can see, you know, then the you know, uh, peak age for a woman to get married is right around 20 right around 26 27 uh mm -hmm. back then and for a man it was 28 29 mm -hmm. uh, and you can you, like as you can see that in the earlier ages they're really really close they're within two or three years from like 15 to like 25 it's really really close and it peaks out at at 25 and men peak a little later and even in their latter years it it, it stays relatively close until you get into their you know you know damn near to their 60s so it's it's really really tight. It's really really close, and um, well, wait, hold on a second. But um, responding to Father's time in the comments, he makes a okay. statement that he does. You know, we should be careful about uh, giving Rolo, you know, that kind of credit. When Farrakhan, he says in the Million Father March, uh, you know, was talking about Black unity and family value. Let's be clear. It it, it we're, we're talking about different things. That's apples and oranges in many ways because yeah. sexual marketplace value is not the same. Yeah. Is, is when when you start talking about family formation, yeah. I think if anything, you know, MMV marriage marketplace value is a little closer to that. But we're not saying that black men have never contemplated this. It's not. Right. What we're saying. we're just saying, we're, we're just but, saying who who actually put the put the you know put the information out there first that was confirmed. Well, and, but, but also put it out in a way that was you know just very blanket and straightforward. I mean. Right. I, but again, you know, if we're going to talk about red pill, you know, a lot of this comes out of black men in the 60s yeah. and 70s. Yeah. So it, it, this is not that's not what I'm referring to. So I just want to be clear. 
It's not about, you know, discrediting black men's contributions. It's just in this particular moment, I want to have a very particular conversation about how some of this information has hit yeah. in in the yeah. last really yeah. 10 years. Well, basically, you could basically you couldn't have uh, Farrakhan couldn't have done it in 1995 because that information wasn't available. But that's not what he was talking about anyway, though. He wasn't talking about sex. He wasn't talking no. about sexual mar- sex, sexual value. He was talking about marriage conversation. Right. He was yeah. talking about marriage. Um, yeah. The other one. Let me see that we were looking at in terms of this. Now, this was one of my favorites, but even though it's it's 2002, though, so it's a little older. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we're, what we're looking at here. So the, the blue dotted line um, that you see here is black men. The uh, the dark straight line is black women. Green is Latina and lighter blue is white uh, for men and women. Um, but as we're having a conversation about black um, men and women, uh, tell us what we're seeing here. Um, basically, what we're seeing is, is that as we see that uh, uh, the, the range is fairly close uh, and black women is for, uh, actually as far as peak, as far as peak marriage, actually peak out earlier. Mm hmm. And, you know, even though this you know, doesn't extend far enough, I think black men uh, actually peak out later. And if you if you keep looking, uh, they keep going up and I think they level out in their 40s. So you because you see the arrow stops at 35. Yeah, it's going up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know why the hours stop at 35, which is it's probably the, <laughs> well for this particular study. You know, they probably yeah, exhausted probably the stopped, yeah. they had of what they but but the point being here, you know, you can see the value yeah. of the age of 30 really beginning to tip in men's favor in a very different way. So the ages plays out in, in an interesting way. Right. So yeah. in a nutshell, you know, when it comes to men in regard to SMV, we see the value for men kicks in really over late in the late thirties, you know, mm-hmm. mid to late thirties, you see men's value kick over in marriage. We see something very similar, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now going back a little bit or at least back on in the order of my slides. So uh, forgive me. Uh, I started to think about this issue of what I might refer to as labor marketplace value. Now, a couple of years ago, this was something that uh, I saw with Obsidian. Mm-hmm. Obsidian released this, or he didn't release it. He, he he put it out there, but I think this was, I think he got it off of PBS, but this was, this was somebody that was out and around doing public talks for a while. I believe her name is Elizabeth. Uh, what I want to say, I think it's Elizabeth White. Um, and so she had a, a series out called 55 and Faking Normal. And this was like the first time I had really heard transparency from, you know, older black women about what the quality of life was. Now, mind you, this is the same generation I was hearing from in the 80s that was talking about men having low value, men needing to do whatever they could to keep Mm -hmm. up. Um, But the point is, I had not heard women transparent about how the the ideas they were given in the 80s were, were inaccurate. And they did not reflect the reality of what would eventually happen with women. Mm-hmm. So this particular story, this was a woman who, you know, she had a high white collar, high level uh, job. Uh, she quit her job to open up like I think it was like an art boutique shop, African art boutique shop in D.C. Um, that went that fell through. Right. There really wasn't a market for that. Uh, she tried to go back to the job she had. Uh, I think she retired from and they had already replaced her. And so the whole notion of 55 and faking normal was her trying to present 
to the world that everything was still okay while her life fell apart. You know, she couldn't afford basic things. Power's getting cut off. Water's getting cut off. She's trying to find ways to not let people know she's going through this. She's meeting with friends for lunch and ordering water and trying to say it's a diet, but really had little to do with, you know, she had much to do with the fact she didn't have any money. But then it, it hit an interesting point in the story where there was a period where she was actually getting help from a homeless black male veteran who was using his check to help her keep her condo or something along those lines. So it was an interesting kind of moment. And there was even an article not related to her that I, that I talked about on my show. I tried to look for it about 10 minutes ago. I couldn't find it. But it was an article that I was talking about on my show last year about older black women who were taking care of family, taking care of parents uh, at right around a retirement age, losing employment, you know, these kind of things. So there was this kind of interesting moment. Right. And the worst, the worst uh, one I just ran this. I just ran across this one today and I just I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But it was it was just kind of sad to hear. This is actually a story that um, you can find on DailyMail.co.uk, and it's it it's dealing with a woman who uh, died at 89 years old. Uh, you know, said she was extremely lonely. They found her memoirs. You know, of course, after she had passed. But the crux of the story uh, for this woman who was quote unquote unnamed, they never got her name even in the article, was that she died and they didn't find her for six months. She died in her kitchen, and they said by the time they found her, she had decomposed into the floor, right, by herself, alone. Husband had died, you know, in 2001. Um, so she was this, you know, she had all these memoirs from just being alone and writing up about loneliness and whatnot. And it was just really sad. But the crux of it for me was this whole question of, of you know, this value. So I grew up hearing that, you know, black women had value, black men, we were just kind of window dressing. We were just in the background in some kind of way and there was no value. And so when you and I actually started to talk about the BLS data, right. um, I really didn't feel like everybody really understood what the importance of that was. And the importance mm -hmm. of it was mainly that at every age level, even in the black community, mm -hmm. men actually brought in more. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I say that was important is because it went against these narratives, these ideas about, you know, who had value, who had something to bring to the table, so on and so forth. So this is one of the charts that I was telling you about earlier, right? right. In income by age and sex in America. When initially what I was going to do is create another SMV like chart to highlight, and this is what I was calling labor marketplace value, to mm -hmm. highlight the value on the basis of sex via age of men and women. And one of the things I told you about when I first had the idea, I said, I think it's going to end up looking somewhat like sexual marketplace value. And you pointed out, you said, nah, it's, it's not going to look like that. It's going to be one arc and it's going to be very different. And you were exactly right. Right. This is the this is what we're looking at, where the blue are men, the red are women. And what you see, unlike sexual marketplace value, is that men's value, even as young as 18, is already slightly higher than women's value at 18. And it never really breaks. Now, of course, with black men, when you talk about in unemployment, that's in incredibly key to the discussion on unemployment is very different. You know, that Im impacts men incarceration for black men, of course, impacts the dynamic. You know, in, 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 in regard to that, black men are the only group when you control for incarceration, make less than their women as a whole. But in terms of employed black men from BLS data to what we're looking at here, we actually see that black men 
are actually doing better. So when you hear this cry that I've been hearing since the 80s about not being able to find men that offer parity, what what we're actually talking about is it's not a matter of not being able to find men that offer parity, offer what you offer. It's not being able to find enough six-figure men who are in the top 5%. But when you look at the man who works next to you or works works at your level, what do we see? Right? This is so this is one. And you go go ahead, comment on. But basically, uh, women want men above their level, not at their level. Exactly. So they're using the wrong language. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In other mm-hmm. words, your level is what you earn. Your level is your economic level, right? And mm-hmm. so, if you look at the uh, uh, labor market value, right, the person, the the man, uh, the the, your, the man at your level earns like two to three thousand dollars more a year than you do if you're female, mm-hmm. especially if you're a black female. And that chart bears it out. So the thing is, is that it's not that women are looking for a man at their level, their right. supposed level right. um, of, of where they are. They're uh, looking at a man at a level of where they want to be, which mm-hmm. is normally like twenty to thirty thousand dollars more than where they're at. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, so, they're, that's, so they, that's not a qualification that we hear drawn out. We don't no. it, it, what, what the argument like, again, the, the verbiage is I can't find a man that can offer parity. And, and part of the problem, too is you'll often hear this in, it, with people that live in like LA, San Francisco, New York, Atlanta. They live in these urban spaces where you know white collar employment tends to be higher, but when you really look at it across the board, you know, it's a very different playing field. And so what what you, what you find is when you have a congregation of, of people in a city that may make six figures, you hear it a lot. And I think even men grew to accept that oh, well, I you know, I guess I guess black women are doing better across the board. I mean, because we've heard this, mm-hmm. but we tend to hear it from very specific places. Right. So you, got, you got a table full of women in L.A. making six figures talking about how few men they can find. Right. What, what often gets overlooked is this. Um, now, this one you'll remember. Uh, I think I have to I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull it out. Hold on. Damn. Why would it? Oh, OK, there we go. Cancel. All right. Let's pull this over here and uh, hold on. I will share that. Now, this one is 2016 data, but I think it's still useful mm-hmm. uh, is when you kind of measure it against COVID. Oh, it's oh, probably that, more accurate than not. That's the wake up call right there. It's the wake up call. So let's go with the oft oft used six figure statement. Right. Mm-hmm. So basically just across the board. As an American, if you make mm-hmm. over a hundred, you're in the top eight percent, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of education. You're in the top eight percent. Right. But one of the things you notice, let's start with the women, right? And let's start with let's let, let's start with black women, mm-hmm. right? If you click on those two categories, what we find is that you're in the top five percent in the black mm-hmm. community. If you make a hundred thousand or more now, I, I want to qualify this because, you know, even across different shows that I've seen, there's this kind of sense that there are a lot mm-hmm. of black women. Uh, oh, did I think, I think I clicked the wrong. You click men. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Oh, hold on. Okay. There's a, so there's 3%, right? So there's this mm-hmm. idea that there are a lot of women, black women making six figures and black men are just janitors somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. suffering off for 15,000 a year, trying to catch up. There's this kind of sensibility, right? But, if you're a black woman making six figures, you're really, you know, you're 3%, meaning 90%, 97% uh, are making less than you. Mm-hmm. But as you just saw a moment ago, for black men, 
it's five. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? That means there's more there's more black men uh, at that particular economic level making more money. There's more of them. Exactly. Yeah. Now, that's one of the things when, when you so when you take the BLS data we went over mm-hmm. and then you look at this, this is coming from the Wall Street Journal. Right. The what percent are you uh, mm-hmm. site? Uh, you actually see that, you know, black men from 18 starting out all the way up through. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the, in terms of the previous chart we were looking at through 65 and of course through a hundred thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. you find that there are slightly more black right. men, even though black men actually have uh, quite a bit more they grapple with altogether. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, for the most part, you know, uh, the, oh man, I lost the man. I hate when I, I don't know why this thing bounces around. I, I need more monitors. That's what I need. <laughs> I need like five more monitors. You, you already there. You are there. You already have too much power for one man. No, man. I need more <laughs> monitors. I need, you know. <laughs> what I was going to say is black men, you know, it, 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 there are a couple of things like one of the things I didn't talk about, but, but we can if you if you want to go here. Uh, there are actually more black men that are married on top of everything else. We go back to the whole conversation about marriage. The black men are actually married more. It's close to 500,000 more married black men. Uh, appreciate that support. Um, so there are more black, the black men that are, uh, that are, ma- there are more of them married. Uh, black men earn more, right? They actually, and I did this in a short video, I believe earlier, uh, I talked about how more black men were actually uh, more entrepreneurship, the entrepreneurship in the black community, uh, black men have over 65% or nearly 65% of entrepreneurial businesses, right? So more black men own businesses, right? And this is not because of support from uh, private investors or from the state. This is despite those things. So despite holding fewer degrees, despite being less supported, despite increased incarceration, increased voter disenfranchisement due to that incarceration. So voting for policy in our interest doesn't even happen. You don't even hear about mm-hmm. black male politics during any electoral season. Black men right. are irrelevant in the conversation as far as even the black community is concerned. And we don't, you know, so th- there's already a vote. That voting issue has implications in regard to policy. Despite greater unemployment, greater homelessness, th- greater uh, sexual assault and rape rates in regard to, because all of that is predicated on incarceration as well. That changes the game. Uh, increased cancer rates. Uh, death uh, at greater rates due to heart disease, HIV, AIDS, mm-hmm. uh, unintentional injury, which includes workplace death, uh, homicide, right. police homicide, vigilante homicide. It, black men are achieving more despite all of those things that I just mentioned and more. Yes. And yet we commonly accept that black men are in a position where we are somehow behind. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things we've heard recently is that there is going to be a great, uh, you know, investment in the next upcoming years in black women. And what I really wanted to say to my brothers is, one, there have been investments made that benefited black women more than black men. I mean, depends on what era you want to start at. But, you know, if we just started at the 60s and the 70s, -hmm. tremendous advantage to women. And yet you brothers are still competitive. Um, shout out to you, Anwar, brother, um, or Dr. Dunbar. Good to see you. Um, you know, so despite that, go ahead. It it doesn't. Okay. The super, uh, if you want to highlight the super chat, uh, Goldman with Goldman Sachs and Google are doing are completely different things. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. That is, uh, (laughs) that has more to do with what went on with the Monaghan report in 1965 and, 
and and feminism. So that's that's a that's more of a that's more of a of, of a subject I would tackle rather than Dr. Johnson. That's not really Dr. Johnson's yeah, deal. But, but I think I think ultimately what we're still saying though is, and I get where he's asking the question. You know, this mm-hmm. because you know the, the the prevailing idea that feminists put forth is that you know because of patriarchy, men are doing better, and we need mm-hmm. to do more to find, to get women on an equal level. But that's why I went through the trouble of reading through all of the despites, like all the things black men are enduring. Um, these are things that are that that set back any group would set no, back any group. Less training, less education, absolutely. Uh, less 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 grants, less you know, less 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 less. In other words, uh, black men have to work uh, three to four times as hard yes. to get the same thing as a black woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a black well, and, woman. And, and and this is also why. And I've shown mm-hmm. this one before, but I'm going to put this up again because I think it, it it definitely fits the conversation. Right. The, the, the despites, as I call it in the moment, right. are actually pretty significant because yes. they, they would set back any group. And really, the only group on par uh, uh, with black men in particular are really like Native American men. Yes. Uh, as far as that. And that's it's a very small group um, But here. Uh, OK, I got to move this to the other screen. See, it's not it's just too few. But thanks to you guys, I have a whole new system that I will be putting together. It will be getting here tomorrow. And you guys uh, uh, should reap the benefit of that. That's way too much power for one man. Hey, man, Justice League movie's going to be out and I'm going to be setting up my computer. So it's about to go down. Right. Okay. So even on this chart, you know, which I created based on the NCES data, uh, shout out to Rick Ross. Shout out to Jesse Veal. Appreciate the support. Right. According to this, what you can see is from 1976 to 2018, black men have half the degrees of black women. Right. And a mm-hmm. fraction of the degrees of white America. Right. So what we're looking at when we talk about all the barriers, when we talk about all of the hurdles that black men face that are disproportionate in relation to any group, including black women. It's mm-hmm. important that we acknowledge that what black men have achieved mm-hmm. right, is significant. But again, it's in spite of the barriers. It's not because of any outside support. Right. And I keep telling people this, the Cal State system in which I teach in is the largest university system in the country. Black men drop out at 70 percent in their first year. We know that when it comes to eighth grade black boys, right, they read 10 percent are literate nationally, 12 percent in math and science nationally. So when understand when we say in terms of labor marketplace value that males are black males are actually earning more from 18 to 65, even into the six-figure range. This goes against all the stereotypical narratives that we've heard since the 80s about Black men being unworthy of love and affection due to the lack of income, due to the lack of competitiveness, due to the fact that they can't provide parity with uh, to their women. This notion that you have successful Black women at every turn and Black men are just not even worthy the soles of their shoes, right? This kind of what you actually find when you look at the numbers is it's actually quite different. And the only thing really impacting this are expectations, unrealistic expectations applied to what gives value to men. And, and we can talk about that. You know, we can go into the quality of a human being and the capacity to love and provide support. We can go there, too, because black men are actually considered the most progressive men across race. But despite all of that, even if we appreciate that, Barry, appreciate the support, even if we just talked about it 
in terms of income, in terms of the material that in a capitalist system we're we're all measured by, black men are still worthy mm-hmm. of far more respect than they get. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's a testament to the uh, to the strength and the the fortitude of black men trying to make it. You know, this is literally uh, alpha alpha your way through it. They say mm-hmm. that black men don't. But the thing is, if you look at the barriers, if you look what the, the gauntlet that black boys have to walk through just to get to middle class lifestyle. OK, they are alpha. This is alpha. OK, because they get virtually nothing. OK, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they don't get the grant. They don't get a 10 billion dollar yes. grant from yes. Goldman Sachs. They don't yes. get training from go from from Google training 100,000 black boys, okay? Mm-hmm. They don't get complaints when 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 uh when black boys I, I forget what colleges was actually graduated and had their loans paid off by uh Robert Smith. Mm-hmm. Black women railed against that, man. In other mm-hmm. words, they don't want black boys to have anything. Look at look at what just happened in in Baltimore where you had a whole school of, of black boys basically what? Uh, only passed three classes in four mm-hmm. years, and nobody said anything. Nobody okay? said anything. No, no. This is this is the gauntlet with uh, nationwide that black boys have to walk through. Okay, and for them to make it, for them to be normal, is a testament to the fortitude of black males, because we're tr- we are actually trained to, the, the, not to expect anything, not to expect any help. Right. Most black men don't expect in, nobody to do anything for them. They don't expect uh, 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 people to uh, even help them. In fact, black boys don't even ask for help. I'm, I'm sure uh, Dr. T will tell you the, 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 the least the student will ask for help least are black males. Because yeah. they don't expect it. They don't expect you to do anything for them. They don't expect to get help from their teachers because they've been told that their whole entire life. So so, well, so that fact, is the epitome when, of Alpha. When I was a when I was a dean in the Claremont Colleges a number of years ago, before I finished my doctorate, one of the things I was responsible for was literally teaching undergrad students at the seven Claremont Colleges how exactly to to study. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the data that I ran across even then, before I really delved into this, this you know, all this research on black males, mm-hmm. one of the things I found is that it was black students as a whole that worked in groups the least yes. you know, in terms of studying for classes or in classes, so on and so forth. They, they actually formed study groups at the least rate. But you're absolutely right. It was black males that did the least of that. Now, yes. that has an inverse reaction when it comes to, you know, exams and whatnot, where you actually have black students that tend to believe people should be graded on their merit. We're not yeah. going to talk about groups that actually cheat versus <laughs> groups that don't. Because, yeah. but that, but that aside, I'm simply saying you're right. You know, the very notion of functioning without help yeah. actually works. You know, we take that to the fullest extent, even when it works to our detriment. Yeah. You know, because you still hear brothers say things now, like, well, you know, we shouldn't have, we we shouldn't need government to thrive. You know, or what I've been seeing in some of my comments are black women, or at least I assume the black women because they present as such in the comments is. They'll come into the comments of my videos and say things like, well, black men are weak and then they're they're waiting for handouts. And I'm like, every group, every group benefits from handouts and black what men is, are the ones expected to not have for anything. How do you expect how do you expect an eight year old boy in third grade is getting ready to be put in special education to actually offer his way through it? You see that? You see that? I'll wait. I'll wait. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll wait. I'll Especially wait. when he's regarded as a threat from his own teachers as young as five years old. Yes. 
That makes no sense. I've talked to so many fathers, including me, that had to go against uh, black black and white teachers to prevent my son from being put on Ritalin and and shunted into special education when he was a normal boy. Okay, they tried to do that to my son at five years old and two weeks into kindergarten. They wanted to put him on on Ritalin. They wanted to put him in special ed when I refused it. A year later, he's in the top one. He's in the top two in his class reading 750 page Harry Potter books by himself. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't do that, if I just allowed that to go down the way they wanted to. And it makes you it begs the question, how many black men have been put into these institutions, Mm -hmm. into these spaces that really had no business being there whatsoever? Mm -hmm. They just Mm -hmm. didn't have advocate, you know, on one level or another. But, you know, but it speaks to overall what I'm trying to get at. And that's why. I'm talking about LMV both by itself, but also in relation to SMV and MMV. And and in other words, what I'm saying is, first, let's acknowledge that when you look at labor and you look at the labor market, despite the stereotypes, even the stereotypes I've heard black men throw on themselves, we -hmm. are doing better than what we're said to be doing. Now, we we, in in terms of the entire race, in terms of the entire group, we definitely need an, an, an infusion of structural support and wealth. There's no question because we've actually been dealing with, and because we didn't even talk about, you know, the, the last couple of centuries of, of being purposely pushed behind. You actually have policy, right? Mm-hmm. You have, there, there are structures in place that have prevented black males in particular from being able to compete. And it functioned not only in terms of individual acts of racism, you also had policies. And when and when even when the policies didn't work at the uh, up the upper end of it all, they would burn down your entire fucking city. Yes. If you looked at Tulsa, right? When you started to see black success at the largest levels, if they could not eliminate it in terms of individual acts of racism or policies, Jim Crow policies, worst case or banking, right? Banking practices and or, or home ownership mm-hmm. practices that yeah. kept black folk for decades yeah. paying quote unquote mortgages when they were really no more than rent payment. And when you missed the payment, you were kicked out of this place you were technically supposed to own, even if you'd been paying on it for 20 years, even despite all of that at the upper end of the echelon, if none mm-hmm. of those things work, they could come in and burn down your entire city. Mm-hmm. And now here in 2021, I'm still pe- hearing people say, well, black men just need to you know, pull up their bootstraps and make it happen, even though the very white men they're comparing it to have benefited from generations of white action from the state. Yep. Yep. And yet, despite all of that, Mm -hmm. black men are still doing better than the stereotypes we're given Mm -hmm. when people make these blanket statements with black about black men and they don't even look at the data. When you actually look at it, you find black men are doing better. So if we look at that, that, that they're doing better in terms of labor in the labor marketplace, They're doing Mm -hmm. better in terms of the marriage marketplace Mm -hmm. in regard to actually being married more, being sought after. When you look at it in terms of SMV, where you start to talk about men in their mid to late 30s being able to increase their value in regard to producing in society. In all three metrics, what Mm -hmm. we're seeing is an opportunity for black men to look at themselves through each lens and -hmm. get an accurate portrayal, an accurate assessment of where you actually are. And when you pull it out of social media, out of off the cuff stereotyping, what you find is most black men or many black men, I should say, are doing far better than we're told. Mm -hmm. And so this is what I wanted to offer my brothers tonight. I wanted to offer you 
a means of looking at yourself. And we're, t- we're, we're, we're just talking in terms of social value. I'm not talking about your individual value as a human being. Right. I'm not talking about what you bring to the table, how caring, supportive, loving, yeah. uh, your capacity to protect, your willingness to speak up for the innocent or those who are, you know, I'm not even talking about those qualities. You know, I'm not, I'm talking about the quantitative measurable qualities that determine social value. Even along those metrics, if you use SMV, MMV, and LMV, you find that your value is higher than what you've been told. Yes. That being said, you have Mm -hmm. every right in the world to carry yourself in a manner consistent with what you know you're bringing to the table Mm -hmm. beyond other people's assessments of you. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it's it's an accurate assessment, uh, uh, empirical assessment of you of your value beyond the social mores or propaganda that they're spread about, especially by black men. Okay, yes. and this is this is not including all the other social things that go along with with our culture. Okay, mm-hmm. this is this is just raw numbers that we're looking at from government sources that can't be argued. Okay, the numbers are the numbers. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. thing is, the numbers can't be juiced or, or propagandized. They are what they are. So, and everybody can evaluate those numbers for themselves. All we're doing is presenting what the numbers are. Now, mm-hmm. what you do with them or how you, how you look at them, how you twist them is up to you. But the thing is, the numbers are the numbers. And what we want brothers to know, what are the numbers? So, so, if, so if they get into a debate or they get into a discussion about value or about blackmail value, Okay, they can pull out numbers. Okay, you say this, but what do the numbers say? Exactly, and and that's the thing. I'm looking at you know because I used to get a lot of messages, and it'll be from brothers who, and you guys have heard me say this before. They'll they'll go home for Thanksgiving, and mm-hmm. they're the Thanksgiving table. You know, especially in black families, we getting it in, we debating, we going back and forth. Mm-hmm. But often, what you know, and I think black men grew very used to this all the way up through the 2000s when the women would get going. Mm-hmm. about their problems with men, men would often get quiet mm-hmm. and retreat mm-hmm. because the, the the narratives about black male failure were so rampant mm-hmm. that we all grew up accepting it as true. Yeah. And, you know, we saw men in prison. We saw brothers on the street. We saw all kinds of stuff. So we, we just assumed if she's saying it based on what I've seen, it must be true. But that's mm-hmm. one of the beautiful things about data is you actually find out that there are stories that are accounted for that you may not have run into. Mm-hmm. And this is why earlier I was talking about when you talk, talk about income and we assume that women just made more in the black community, mainly because we'll mm-hmm. see tables in L.A. and or San Francisco. or what, We'll see tables of women getting together saying we make six figures and mm-hmm. men can't get on our level. Mm-hmm. You just assume it's true. Mm-hmm. And the data says, well, actually, no, you're just living in L.A. And that's just what you saw Thursday. That has mm-hmm. nothing to do with what's actually happening in the world and right. across the country. Even and, in L.A. Even in L.A. <laughs> even in L.A., yes. Even in L.A., yes. But we got to get you, uh, appreciate that, Marvin. We got to get you away from that table or away mm-hmm. from the woman you dated that told you she made more than you and therefore you weren't worth her time or you, you know. No, we got to step back from the table mm-hmm. and actually look at the data and see where do we actually stand. Mm-hmm. And when you do that and you find out, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that I've been lied to? Mm-hmm. You mean you mean to tell me that this has it, all been misrepresented? You've been misinformed. Yes, we've been misinformed about a wide variety of things. I mean, mm-hmm. it, don't get me wrong. I had 10 other charts, but y'all know I changed the format to the show. So I'm trying to keep it a little 
shorter, <laughs> get to the point. But I want you to screenshot these these charts. I want you to look them up yourself. You know, the, here you can find this one, dem, blackdemographics.com shows you uh, the, the 1970s point where you started to see black women experiencing high levels of uh, not being married. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you see the same with black men, but it goes back earlier and it doesn't really kick off until right around 1960. Right. You know, so our feet were closer to the ground. And especially when you start to talk about family court policies mm-hmm. that really serve the advantage of women, it hit us first and hard. And yeah. men responded in kind. This is why you don't see it until a decade later with women yeah. responded, you know, but, you know, these these are the kind of things I want us to look at because it really belies the stereotypes yeah. told about. And there's one more that uh, I think you were asking about uh, uh, earlier when we were talking on the phone. And I think if you want to share my screen real quick, this is the sure. I think this is the one that you were talking about, about uh, that extends the uh, the. Uh, 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 the 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 the, the, the MMV, yeah, yeah, the MMV, where where uh, where basically they're pretty even, and they start separating at at age forty five, where men continue to peak as far as marriage, mm-hmm. as percentage of marriage, and uh, I you, think that's the one you were looking at. You slipped yeah. this one in on me. You had to email yeah. me that one. Okay, I just, but I took a screenshot, my damn self. See, I I ain't playing with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's useful. Uh, to mm-hmm. collect data because sometimes even even this can this stuff can be hard to find later when you're looking for it. Yeah. But I really want men to have a sense of where we actually stand yeah. because it, so much of the time we're treated, and this is even in the academy, we're treated like these stereotypes are true. Yes, and, and I want brothers to not only know that they're not true, I want you to have access. See, and that's the other thing. We when we come up with ideas and concepts or we're going through the day, I, I want you to take this and use it. Mm-hmm. I'm not just up here talking mess, trying to you know get you to give me a donation. I want you to use it. I want you to be able to walk away with something in hand that you can mm-hmm. use to not only better understand your life and the life of the of black boys and men around you, but also to mm-hmm. refute and challenge these stereotypes. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's at a conference or if it's at the, the Thanksgiving dinner table. Mm-hmm. If it's untrue, I want you to have the means to challenge it. Mm-hmm. I want you to have the data in hand. This is part of the movement with black of black male studies where we're looking past stereotype and conjecture and looking at what's what we know to be true. The data, the historical data or the quantitative data that shows us a narrative that goes against what is popularly stated about black men to the reality of black male life. And I said this before. Overall, black males are doing better and worse Mm -hmm. than black women at the same time, Mm -hmm. better and worse. We're doing slightly better in terms of the labor, in terms of the income, but we're doing worse in terms of all the other metrics you heard me read off earlier. Mm -hmm. So our doing better is at, is in, is, is despite all the categories used to hold us back. And I don't want you brothers to forget that every time you see a $10 billion in, in infusion from Goldman Sachs or Google or Visa, and there's a new one from MasterCard. I still mm-hmm. want you brothers to know you have been able to, uh, to achieve despite generations of policy design to set you back. And if you could do that unknowingly, what can you do knowingly? That's the question I'm asking. We're doing better despite what's been setting us back and we didn't even know it. What can we do when we actually do? Any last comments, brother? I, you said it, man. You know, uh, 
You know, uh, Dr. Truth has spoken. Once Dr. Truth speaks, I have nothing to say. And here you go. <laughs> well, look, and, and we're going to we're going to close this down. One thing, though, I do want to say um, beyond the topic of the show, I want to thank you, Brother BGS, mm-hmm. for all that you've done, because at the end of the day, you, you now I, when I was first introduced to this space, the, the formal introduction actually came from Brother Obsidian. By the way, Obsidian has a new book out. Shout out to him. Um, I wish him good, good, you know, things go, go well. I hope you purchase the book, check him out, support his show. I got to thank Obsidian. He was the first to invite me into the space and he welcomed me on his show. And that's actually how I met BGS. I met uh, Angry Man. I met, um, you know, a number of brothers in the space, mainly through there. But, you know, it, I, I then began to build a relationship with BGS. And one of the things BGS was probably responsible for me even being on YouTube and then once I got here, he did a lot to cut the learning curve and save me a lot of time, save me a lot of mistakes. Um, so and and it's not just me. There have been a number of of those of us, you know, and I guess what you you know, we've been called the PhDs. Sound like a damn singing group. But, you know, who have been in this space that, that BGS has helped kind of mentor us through, help us get started and um, help us add something to it. Uh, hold on. Brother Anwar. What's going on, Doctor Dunbar? So hey, much, Doctor Goodbar. What's going on? <laughs> well, well, I was uh, invited to come up and say a few words of appreciation uh, for you as well, and I wanted to come up and uh, thank you for the ways that you've expanded my life, and also for the support you've shown me here since I've come to YouTube. I'm yeah, humbled. Yeah. I'm humbled. You know, um, you shared your platform. You know, you, you, you've shared our videos and. You know, you, you've, you've, you fought trolls in the comment section, <laughs> you know, it, and when you start doing this kind of thing, I don't, I didn't even know how to look at the comment section and conduct the show. And when I did BGS is in the comment section, actually, you know, making sure that what was being said is actually regarded uh, beyond the superficial, you know, uh, but Dr. Dunbar, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt any other thoughts you wanted to share. No, no, I, I, I've told BGS and other people on numerous occasions, just just watching and having knowledge of the octane scale uh, has <laughs> uh, been invaluable for me because of, of the background I come from. You know, it took me a little while even getting my Ph.D. and even uh, just staying out of trouble. It just took me a little while to, you know, appreciate who I am and realize who I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did face my own set of challenges as a black man. So uh, listening to BGS and to you as well, Dr. Johnson has helped oh, fill a lot, of, a lot of missing pieces and it's helped me to, uh, you know, understand my own journey and just appreciate uh, where I am. Yeah, I'm humbled. And we have the esteemed Dr. Uh, Doc on here. How you doing, lady? She don't want to. You don't want us to call her Doc. That's the problem. Is that what it I, is? Was I disagree with? But you know, I, hey, I respect her wishes. <laughs> <laughs> so she's you, just Nicole. <laughs> How Nicole, you doing, though. Nicole? I'm doing well. How are y'all doing this evening? We're doing good. We're doing good. good. Um, appreciate that, cousin T talk. Um, anything you wanted to say, Nicole? Uh, I just wanted to say thank you um, to BGS as um, Dr. Amar was speaking earlier. Um, got a little emotional, but um, yeah, <laughs> because 
I see that there are a lot of people that are touched by um, what BGS puts out the content. He shares our content. He has, of course, extremely brilliant way of conveying the messages. And I really appreciate that. Um, I have to also thank you, Dr. T.S. Son Johnson, because, um, well, BGS is the one that introduced me to your space. And I appreciate you having us here oh. and, and giving us this um, great information and knowledge and oh. resources that we can use. Mm-hmm. Likewise, I'm, I've been bragging on y'all in a minute, for a minute. I, even when I don't understand everything that's that's being stated, I'm like, y'all, these are the ones y'all need to listen to. Yeah. If you, if you will, because I was just, you know, just going, you know, keep it short. But I do want mm-hmm. y'all to share with people how to find you um, and when, like when you guys go on. Can you tell the the, the audience? Oh, for me, it's um, I don't know. It depends. If for me, it's uh, you know, you all can find me in my name. I have to go um, put something in the chat, but um, it's just Nicole Ali. Um, email. I can you know you can see my email on my channel and whatnot. Okay. Um, we're gonna I'm change that. Gonna we're gonna change the name of that that, sh- that uh, channel to the Queen of Science. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just you know I'm I'm. Yeah, I'm just I'm just me trying to trying to do what I can mm-hmm. and um, trying to be a, a living uh, resource to people that, you know, whatever they need. As far as like my field, you know, I'm here to help. Unfortunately, I, I would I hope that more this year, hopefully more black parents will contact me, mm-hmm. uh, contact us if Dr. Dunbar wants that, because I don't I don't. That's one thing that I don't get a lot is. I get a lot of um, other parents that contact me strangely <laughs> for information about their children, mm-hmm. but I don't get a lot of our parents contacting me about our children, and okay. that concerns me. But um, for right now, like I'm kind of like on a hiatus. Like it is like uh, whoever wants to like talk about something, particular topics, like nameless and myself, for instance, or anybody has like a pressing topic they want to discuss, mm-hmm. then that's fine. Um, I don't have any like plans, but y'all can check my channel out if you see fit to do that. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Dunbar, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to echo what Nicole said. I mean, I have, I have a couple of channels, but I think my four, science... You got, you got four is, channels. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Uh, but, but I think the science channel uh, may be the most important of all. And, mm. you know, I, I like talking about pharmacology and toxicology and the COVID-19 vaccine, but mm. one of the reasons I started that yeah. channel was to, you know, be visible and also to um, so others from my background can benefit from what I know. Okay. So, um, so if, yeah, if there are any parents listening, uh, yeah, feel, feel free to reach out. Uh, I try to have Nicole come over as often as possible and um, I, my backgrounds are in farm and tox, but I also intentionally made the name science and technology so I could talk about aerospace and okay. tech as well. I'm trying to get AB Media to come over and talk about what he does. I had Gabe A come over and talk about cybersecurity, so I kind of want to run the whole gamut. Okay. Okay. And well, that's the name of the channel, Big Discussion 76 Science and Technology. I know it's long, but there you go. I've yeah. been commenting in the chat throughout. <laughs> okay. Well, if you guys could put the link in in the chat, I would appreciate it. I want people to 
to be able to check your your past archive as well. Um, so it's, thank- it's, especially the one uh, that Nicole and Dr. Dunbar did on uh, on Johnson and Johnson, which is the COVID vaccine, and uh, and that is the, the closest one that uh, Nicole, who's an expert, recommended. And so far, she's been on the money because I've that's what I've heard in the press. We heard it here first with Nicole and, and Dr. Dunbar. The thing is, the, the press is starting to echo the same thing that they're saying. So we we're getting valuable, cutting edge uh, information. So don't mm. don't uh, sleep on that. Mm. Well, thanks a lot. Y'all have a good night. Thank um, you. And, and appreciate you ha- having you here. Um, let me uh, let me see. All right, brother BGS. So uh, let me uh, so put this up. We're still going to have uh, office hours. We'll do about an hour and a half. Uh, tonight, I will put the link in the community tab for my members on YouTube for Patreon. Uh, it'll be a post that I will put up in the next few moments. So we still will be uh, we will be having office hours tonight. Um, let me see here. And in the meantime, oh, I got to get my little my little uh, game right in here in terms of these buttons. Uh, here we go. All right. So y'all know. How I like to close it out. Uh, I want to thank BGS for coming up on the show, for breaking down with me tonight. And I want to let brothers know that you should be reminded that we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man children, sperm donors, child support, wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, brainless henchmen, valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies unpaid repairmen, workhorses, emotional tampons, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotypes. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, warriors, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic, selfish, and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. Peace. Peace.